This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Thursday, April 2nd. You guys hearing this on Friday, April 3rd, and we are still all staying at home, practicing social distancing measures, and awaiting when the real world will return to normal and maybe we get baseball at some point again in the, I wouldn't guess near future, but perhaps near-ish distant future. And that is where things are. So as we have started a lot of these episodes, I hope that wherever this episode finds you, you are safe, healthy, and getting through this as best you can. I, I know that this situation is affecting many people in a variety of ways, uh, from not that much to very harshly. Uh, So, you know, if this is a particularly trying time for you or uh, your friends and family, uh, you know, our our, our thoughts are with you and and we're going to try to get through this together. Uh, But I hope that this episode finds you in an okay position given the circumstances. Uh, but as Brendan and I have stated since this all really started, we're going to try to jump on here and, and uh, at least distract ourselves and, and hopefully provide a little bit of a distraction for you guys. Uh, I know that everybody's routine has been disrupted. I know a lot of you, I think the majority of you probably listened uh, on your way to work or at work, at the gym, things like that. Um, so, For those of you still joining us uh, for these random episodes, we appreciate it, and hopefully they are uh, providing that that distraction or a little bit of entertainment to to get you through what's going on here. As we've talked about, Brendan, and I'll bring you in here, these episodes are going to start to get a little weird. we we are doing our best to try to come up with things to talk about. If you go back in the uh, list on our podcast channel, the last two episodes have featured uh, guests that we have never had before. We had Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation on two episodes ago, so if you want to go back and listen to our conversation with Brett, that one is available. And then our most recent episode was an interview with one of the Cubs' top prospects, 20-year-old Brennan Davis, talking about his development, what he's doing now, not really knowing when he's going to be back uh, as a professional baseball player, and what he's working on and, and developing just as his career continues to start and, and you know, uh, go along that path to becoming a major leaguer. So that was a, a really good interview and an exciting conversation for Brendan and I. But we're, we're not going to be able to do that every time. So sometimes it's going to get a little random, uh, but we're going to keep cranking them out. So we'll, we'll be here for you guys, and uh, hopefully some of y'all are, are still out there for us. But Brendan, I, I, I was saying to you before we got on that this is probably, you and I have gone back and listened to some of the run-up of the episodes that we did to the Cubs' 
eventually winning the World Series, which they did in 2016. Yeah, they did. Correct. Yeah. And it's an interesting journey for you and I personally, just because it's we we have an archive of our running thoughts, basically for the Cubs winning the World Series, which is pretty cool. And it's interesting to just sort of look back on and see what we were thinking throughout that playoff process. I know a couple of those episodes, there's a a pretty good bit of concern with with what's going on, (laughs) given, you know, how some of those series are shaping out and things like that. And it's, it's kind of funny to listen back to myself, like kind of trying not to be freaked out about them down 3-1, but knowing on the inside that it was, you know, killing my soul. Uh, I don't even remember recording after that third loss in the World Series. Did we just like tap out at that point? Because I know mentally. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember. But it, it's still <laughs> just fun to I. listen to yeah. that that process and, and just kind of see how that all progresses. But the reason I even bring that up is just that this is going to be an even weirder thing to look back on because I I think especially if we get to another month or two here of doing this without actual live baseball I I think you're going to be able to pretty accurately track your and I's descent into a little bit of madness uh, just in general with what's going on in the world but also the the lack of baseball which is what you and I are obviously normally talking about right yeah and I was looking back even on last year's season. And it's funny to just read the titles of how this 2019 season started and eventually disintegrated in that last month in particular, that September. It's just hilarious. You know, looking back at it now, it's hilarious. But you see, you know, Cubs sweep, you know, closing the gap. And all of a sudden, it's just Cubs get swept, Cubs season over, uh, Joe Madden gone, David Ross hired. And it's fun in that regards to go back and see how quickly things accelerated. And, you know, you can relive some of the moments that way, even 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 the bad ones. One of the things I wanted to start off by talking about, there, there's really not uh, much Cubs news. Been trying to keep you up on really anything that, that has been going on there. As, as we've mentioned before, Anthony Rizzo continues to do a lot of really great things uh, off the field, obviously, with his philanthropy, uh, helping first responders and, and medical workers and donating food and and trying to support local restaurants in various areas and things like that. So if you are interested in that, he's he's tweeting a lot about it on his Twitter account and on his Instagram. You can also follow the Anthony Rizzo Family Foundation for a lot of the efforts that they're doing if you want to participate. I think I've said before, uh, but if you are looking to contribute, uh, but also, you know, get a a little something in in return for it, the shirts that they sell uh, to raise some money are very, very comfortable. I own one, and it is very comfortable. So if you're looking for a way to chip in um, and get a nice t-shirt out of it, that is a good way to do that. Um, He has also been giving us a pretty good amount of Kevin Rizzo content. Um, which I appreciate. It's it's always good. The latest update there is that Kevin is not allowed to join Anthony and his wife Emily when they go and play basketball because he chases the neighbors. So... That that's where that's where we're that's at, where folks. We yeah, that's where we are. I have an update for you on whether or not Kevin Rizzo can play basketball or not. You know, so, you joked about turning this podcast into the Kevin Rizzo related podcast, and now you just might get your wish. That might be uh, what what this turns into. Yeah, uh, Jason Hayward also got himself a dog. I I don't know if I saw him. Um, Is that a Rottweiler? Say, 
I think it was yes, a Rottweiler. I believe yeah. it was a Rottweiler. It is very yes. cute. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, you know, it, 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 I, uh, some people have tweeted at me whether Kevin has competition. And let me put those rumors to rest uh, because at the moment he does not. Okay, Kevin owns several themed party hats that he can wear for any occasion. Okay. He's also participated in Anthony's philanthropic efforts. They filmed a video together uh, for the Anthony Rizzo Family Foundation. Uh, and Kevin is also a professional surfer. So yes. Kevin is kind of in a league of his own. I, 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 Look, all dogs are cute. All dogs are wonderful. I love all dogs, really most animals for, for, for that measure. Um, but if we're going to talk about who's the king... Kevin wears the crown, and he probably owns one, to be honest with you, okay? So I just want to put those those rumors to rest. But Jason Hayward's dog is very cute. We love him very much, and he is a part of the Cubs dog family, though I'm not sure if we got a name. He hashtagged on one of the posts, uh, Hove, H-O-V, like, like Jay-Z. I, like I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I wasn't sure if that was the dog's name or if that, you know, Jason Hayward kind of often posts Jay-Z music and lyrics and stuff like that. So I wasn't sure. Uh, I don't speak to Jason Hayward regularly, at least. So I don't have a way to confirm or deny that information. But we welcome all cubs dog cat animal content that that they can they can put out there especially during this time but i think as far as like updates from the guys uh i think we mentioned when we talked to brendan davis ian happ has started a podcast called the compound that you can listen to um with him zach short nico horner Dakota Meckes and of course Ian himself and I think they had Schwarber on for one episode so yeah. if you are looking for uh, some chatter from professional baseball players and I, I believe they're all kind of you know quarantine in a house for themselves so that has been interesting to listen to and other than that I think that is the extent of updates that we have from some of these guys I know Javi was hitting off of Jose Barrios um, which was fun to watch. I think that was last week, so I don't know how often they're doing that. But Javi's staying in game shape, it appears, because um, trying to do live pitching against Jose Barrios is about as close to being game ready <laughs> right. as, as you're going to get. Be, as, uh, the best type of training at this point. Yeah, as Javi was was pointing out, uh, I think he he posted, you know, trying to do some some hitting off of Jose Barrios, and uh, good luck with that to to <laughs> myself. So. That's where we're at. Uh, I am happy to provide Kevin Rizzo updates as much as I possibly can, but I'm not positive how great of audio that is, but we'll see how, how this all proceeds. But getting to the language that we have about a potential Major League Baseball season, and, and I sort of said this at the outset, but again, like there, the, the, the crisis in the world is, is the most important thing. Everybody's saying safe and healthy is the most important thing. And if that meant no baseball season, uh, because it wouldn't be safe to do for fans, players, coaches, whoever, then that should be the priority. But we're, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it just in a hypothetical sense, because that is what this podcast is for. Um, and reading these tweets from Matt Spiegel of 670, the score he put out on April 1st, that uh, from a well-informed source that does business with MLB executives, a 100-game season is being discussed and would include eliminating the All-Star Game in Los Angeles, but would deliver a neutral field warm weather World Series 
at Dodger Stadium as compensation. Matt goes on in tweeting, the 100-game season being discussed would begin July 1st, eventually pick up the post-All-Star Game schedule, and conclude October 15th. If the Dodgers made the World Series in this scenario, road games would take place in Anaheim or San Diego. He ends by saying, obviously many questions remain and talks are fluid, and of course this would only be possible. I think this is just them kind of laying down a plan if this is doable in a couple months. Um, But that is what was out there, so I figured we could at least discuss some of those things at the outset, just because, you know, that is... um, more of a, it, it's certainly not a concrete plan, but it's it's more of a defined plan than we've really heard other than the kind of insistence that they're going to try to do as much as they can if they're able to get back out there. So Brendan, I, I was curious, your sort of just like initial reaction to this, Matt didn't specify whether this would be with or without fans. I would guess without, just looking yeah. at the, the general way things are going right now. I, I, again, I don't take my medical opinions uh, for anything. They're not worth the, the, I would say the paper they're printed on, but the audio waves that they're being <laughs> recorded on. Um, but I just can't see us in a couple months being comfortable and, and ready to have 40,000 people packed into stadiums next to each other with all the, you know, especially just like all the food sanitary concerns that would also go along with it, not even just having so many people back together, but just so many little nuances that you would have to make sure are all clear. But this is at least somewhat of a plan that we can at least look at and and, and think about. And I, I think obviously the first thing that jumps to mind, if you ever have listened to this podcast before or follow either Brendan and I on Twitter, is that the a neutral field World Series at Dodger Stadium kind of makes a lot of sense to me because the Dodgers have hosted multiple teams in the last couple of years um, post winning the World Series celebrations that were not their yeah, own. Yeah. So they're not they're ready own, to yeah. go at this. They're good at this, um, as the Astros and Red Sox can attest to. So I think you know they've had the practice. I think it would be a good venue for that. And I and before I throw it to you there, Ben, and I, I will caveat with something. Uh, I have enough baseball-related hatred in my heart that I think the Red Sox and the Astros are disgusting for their cheating. They should be ashamed. There should be suspensions, etc., right? I also enjoy that the Dodgers lost the World Series. I've got enough room for both. Um, So I don't want anybody taking that comment as me supporting the Astros and Red Sox cheating I, it's it's all bad, right? The Dodgers losing the World Series is good. The Astros and Red Sox cheating, very bad. It, very it's bad. all happening at the same time. How I reconcile that, I don't know. I just do. But that's the plan, Brendan. What do you think about that kind of in an initial hearing of this? Well, initially, it, it makes sense. but And it's, it's not to be negative, but it's hard, Corey, to even imagine that happening at, at this point. The situation is so fluid. And as we saw some of the projections right now, in a best case scenario, it's like a quarter million people dying. And so this is all making assumptions that by then, not only will society kind of get back on its feet, but the the ability to keep these players safe and the ability to keep those employees with the team safe 
and the likelihood of no infections within the baseball community, it, it seems like almost idealistic at, at this point. And I, I, I hate to say that, but I can't even let myself believe that this is going to be a realistic scenario at this point. That That being said, the situation, as I just said, is fluid. So for them to get to that point, yeah, maybe it can happen. And if it does happen, let's operate under the assumption that we're going to have a 100-game season, we're going to delay the season a little bit, or the, the playoffs into October a little bit more, That that's great. If they can get any games in at this point, even if it's 81, even if it's 60, something, you have to shoot for it. And you look at all the different, I was reading today too, and it's so disconcerting, but you look at those connected to baseball, not from a player point of view, but from just an actual employee, like like a vendor at a baseball stadium, or those on fan graphs, or those who write, you know, Cubs content, like Bleacher Nation, like these, these people are really, really struggling. So it's not, like, I think we have to make a decision at some point where despite the season being shorter and as a result maybe you have a team that doesn't deserve to win the world series end up actually winning the world series that might be what we have to do like even if it's only a 40 game season from a societal perspective getting people employed getting the sport in a healthy position for 2021 you kind of may just have to accept the worst case scenario and again going from a hundred game season which is what's been proposed to me, it's a best case scenario. A realistic scenario might be like a 50 to 40 game season. That will be valuable for a lot of people connected to the sport. And if it means if the Cubs go to the World Series and they can't play games at Wrigley, they have to go. They have to go to LA to do that. You know, so be it. Got to deal with it. Got to get the sport in a healthy position for 2021. It sucks, but this is our reality. Yeah, I think you're you're right about that, and I think you're just going to have to accept some of the things that come from it. I, I think you're you're always going to have, no matter what, if they play at all, and you award a champion, you, you're just going to have to accept the fact that whoever wins that, it's always going to be a, a weird kind of championship. Um, I, I don't want to say that it's like tainted. Because that that word, I think, is reserved for, as we were talking about, like the Astros championship. That is tainted in a bad way, right? Um, But it's, you know, it's always going to be looked at. I mean, if if you have a 40-game season and somebody wins the World Series, like, you're going to have a lot of discussion of, like, whether or not that's, like, a legitimate championship or not. And I I think you're just going to have to deal with stuff like that because I think you're right. I I think that there's so many people connected to the game, the the stuff with the players and and their service time issues and things like that, that they've been trying to iron out with the Players Association and stuff. Like, I I think that clearly the, the best thing for the sport, if it's possible, is to play any level of games and just get things out there yeah and that's even for those lower levels too like I I have a friend who just got his first job in baseball as a coach and he was in the Dominican Republic of course that that shut down but you look at his season his season basically is 90% not going to happen so then what does that mean for his career what does that mean for his job in 2021 if he has one You, you don't know and so that's that's the point. The sooner you can get this back, the better. But just because it's were to begin in like mid August or late August, deal with it. Like you you kind of have to go with the flow and get yeah. these people in a healthy position so the sport 
and those affected can go about living a somewhat normal lifestyle. I get that they're losing the all-star game and stuff, but, uh, you know, like I would go to a 20-degree Wrigley Field in the snow and watch them play a playoff game or a World Series game. So I I hope that that decision wasn't made because, you know, they they don't think, uh, and I mean, again, like I don't even know if fans would be allowed, but like that wouldn't stop me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'd be there, I'll bundle up like whatever you got to do. So I mean, you and I did sit through like a rainy game in LA for the World Baseball Classic. Like remember that one game was like pouring, but it was, I was drenched afterwards. That jacket straight to the garbage. Yeah, so that's the proposal that they have. That would certainly be a strange, a strange set of of circumstances that would be uh, undertaken, and 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 even weirder if the Dodgers make the World Series in this scenario, because you just have all. So I mean, you want to talk about a, a championship, which which would be like so fitting, just of their uh, <laughs> right. progression, right? That that yeah. they that this would be the one that they would win. Because if they're getting home games, but they were playing the Yankees, who then wouldn't get home games, right? Their road games would be in Anaheim or something like that. Like, dude, no one would take that championship seriously other than the Dodgers fans, right? Everybody and their brother would be like, you're the only team that got to play at home. Get out of here, you know? And again, like, that's just what they got to do. Like, I understand it. Like, you know, the All-Star game, I think, generates a ton of money for these cities, and they already have future all-star games projected out and stuff like that so you can't necessarily just come back to los angeles right away uh but man would that be just from a narrative perspective the dodgers like beating the yankees in the world series but the yankees don't get to play in new york i mean you want to talk about a championship that like nobody would would legitimize uh it would be that which would be so fitting in a way for like just how the Dodgers have been a top team in the league, but not actually won. That would just be so fitting, I think, for how all of this has has gone. Um, but that is the plan. Again, you know, this is just coming from Matt Spiegel, from what he's heard. And I, I think as with anything else related to this type of stuff, it is a very fluid situation that I, I don't think there's, there's anything concrete um, going on with that. But that's that's really what it is. Another thing that uh, I was uh, you know reading or, or thinking about the other day, I think it was Jason Kipnis who was talking about how you know he's at least a little concerned if they got back out there that initially like the baseball is going to be pretty ugly. Baseball is going to be pretty ugly, and at least some of these players, if they're not putting in the work to stay in the right shape, and you know they're not being monitored, a lot of them by the trainers and the medical staff and things like that. You know it could be a little dangerous for some of these guys. So that's that's another thought too. And obviously, you know they're professional athletes. They they've come to an agreement about how they're going to deal with the service time and the payments and things like that um, recently. But it is something to at least think about that that for a lot of these guys it's it's pretty unstructured at the moment and if if and when they get back out there might be a little sloppy and and you know you have to you know these team doctors and the coaches and stuff like that are going to have to be really mindful of checking on what kind of shape these guys are in and and making sure that these guys aren't coming out there and and trying to perform at the highest level but not really being ready to do so it makes sense if it were just spring training. You're going from your off-season program to spring training, but this would be like, you know, taking two months off and then 
starting your season in like early January, like a, like a regular season in early January. It's just, it seems so impossible for a lot of guys and the veterans, those who have been successful in the league, they may be at more of an advantage because they have the resources like within their actual homes. Those minor leaguers, those fringe players, they, they can't go and get the type of similar training that a lot of these more successful players have. So there's going to be a minority of players who could be prepared, but the majority of them are not going to be prepared the way that they've been prepared for the last you know decades almost. So I, that is a concern for me. And those older players like a John Lester or those injury-prone players that we see throughout the league, how will that affect them? Will there, will there be more injuries because of this? It's just it's such a messy situation right now that it almost makes sense once things do settle down to not ramp back up for three weeks, maybe take some more time, maybe ramp back up for eight weeks. And that means shortening the season from 100 games down to 81. If you want to protect the players and you know do what's best so there's not many injuries and you can try to handle some of the, like, maybe even do some more exhibition games that way you have employees back at work. Like There might be a better way to deal with this. I just, Corey, I can't in my mind fathom a three-week ramp-up after a complete global pandemic right into a season. It just, I can't comprehend that. There's going to be, there's going to have to be more of a strategic way to protect these players while sustaining some of the, you know, baseball income that a lot of these guys have. I just don't think a three-week way of ramping this up is going to be the best way to go about doing it. That is kind of where things are in that regard. So I think that catches us up with the current state of things, the current news, and and anything that is going on in the baseball world. So I think to kind of back-end this episode of the podcast, I I wanted to ask just sort of a random question. I think that's kind of going to be a, a good portion of, you know, maybe the podcast going forward, just kind of thinking of, of Cubs-related topics and, and Brendan and I trying to muse on them a little bit. Again, we'll, we'll reach out to some other people, maybe try to have some more guests and try to keep things interesting. Um, every, you know, several episodes or whatever it is. But when it's just Brendan and I, we're going to do our best. And and one thing I thought of was in the wake of the news that ESPN is going to move up The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. I think it's 10 parts uh, about the, the 98 season, I believe. And just a, a lot of footage that they have about that. It it should be incredible. This is not a basketball podcast, and we're not really going to talk about basketball at all. But the reason I bring it up is because that documentary is going to be amazing. And Brendan and I are both in our latish twenties, which means that we both grew up in Chicago in the nineties. And if you were alive in the nineties or living in Chicago in the nineties, you know that that was consumed with the Chicago Bulls. And it, it's almost difficult to, you know, for, for anyone that wasn't around during that time or, or just wasn't, you know, paying attention to sports or whatever it might be, it's almost difficult to articulate just how much, like, life in Chicago was consumed by the Chicago Bulls for that decade. Um, I, I mean, I was... I was born in 1991, so when they win the last championship, I was only seven years old. But, like, if you look through photo albums and things like that, like, I would say 90% of my clothing 
was Chicago Bulls jerseys, Chicago Bulls oh, yeah, championship no shirts, things like that, hats. I, I mean, I've been wearing yep. own like I've been wearing Jordans my entire life, you know, like for shoes, and it was pretty all consuming. So again, we're not going to talk about basketball. I've made this promise a thousand times that we only talk about the Cubs and baseball on this show, and I'm not about to break that promise today. Even in a global pandemic, I will stick to that. Okay. But the reason that I'm bringing this up and at least just trying to articulate how significant the Bulls culture was, I I really couldn't compare it to anything. Like it it was kind of like 2016 with the Cubs, but for a decade, right? Like that's the only way that I I could compare it where where every day and like everything is just consumed. These are the biggest people in the city. It's everything. And I think most of you listening to this know that. I'm just only saying that for anyone that might not. But the reason that I, I bring this up is because I, I was curious, and I, I, I haven't talked about this with Brendan. We've kind of talked about something similar to this, but I was curious how both of us, because both of us don't watch basketball, really, at the, the current point in our lives. Um, well, I mean, both of us don't consume ourselves with basketball the way we do with baseball. I don't you know, watch the NBA we're aware. at all. I mean, I watch a little bit. Okay, but we're not like I don't watch no. the NBA at all, and I don't think you would describe yourself as a diehard Bulls fan. Is oh, that absolutely correct? not. No. Okay, so my question to you is: How do we both go from and and you can also like confirm? I didn't give you an opportunity to confirm that your childhood was also like like mine. Um, oh my 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 first so my very first jersey was a Dennis Rodman jersey. So <laughs> and I was like maybe 5 years old at the time. So imagine a 5 year old going to preschool or whatever it was kindergarten. I was always a uh, Tony Kukoc man. I, I I had no choice in the matter. I just had yeah. a Dennis Rodman jersey and that was it. So I guess my my question was and and how this relates to the Cubs is I'm curious like if there is a moment or a process or how do we get from Growing up in a culture that is so dominated by the Chicago Bulls, like every aspect of my life, and especially, you know, up until 98, right, the Cubs aren't any good, um, or certainly not captivating to, you know, at that time, toddlers and, you know, kids growing up, right, until 1998, of course. So how do we get from that to today, where you and I are completely obsessed with the Chicago Cubs? And our like mental and physical well-being is is easily affected by only this baseball team to such a significant degree. Because for me, I didn't play baseball. I've said this before. I played nine game. I had nine plate appearances of intramural baseball my freshman year of high school at Stevenson. And they were uh, all strikeouts. They were not all strikeouts. They were Eight all strikeouts more. except for a single up the middle. Do not ask me how that happened. Uh, and it was it was off someone who I believe played baseball. Don't ask me how I managed to pull that off. <laughs> Good for I, you. I'm impressed, actually. I was, Brendan, I was so terrified. I'd never faced live pitching before in my life. It's and so crazy, this is freshman dude. year of high school. I don't know how hard the guy was throwing, but it wasn't Stevenson's a slow. pretty good program, too. This is not some, you know, schlub program out there in Illinois. Well, it was intramural, not like real baseball, but... I think the kid was on, you know, maybe the JV team or the third team, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. But, like, I've never been more terrified in my life. I think I was standing on the edge of the batter's box. like You were like Henry Rowengarner. Toward the dugout, yeah. Because, I, I mean, yeah. I was terrified. I've never faced live pitching before in my life. And I'm just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die in this batter's box. I, I can't. I, like, I'm so terrified by this. <laughs> um, so I was not like that, by the way. Just somehow— 
somehow I managed to hit a ground ball single up the middle. And then the the guys I was playing with had to yell at me when I was on first base because I kept leading off, but not nearly enough. And I, I was like, no, nah, this is too far. Like, I'm going to get picked off. And they're like, dude, you're like, you're like half a step off the base, man. Like, you got to lead off more. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Sorry. But again, the question is, I never, I never played baseball, but I ended up here somehow. So I know my answer, but Brendan, I'm, I'm curious your answer. I know you played baseball, uh, and like, like Ben Wyatt on Parks and Rec, you know, nobody ever talks about that you were a star on the star shortstop on your JV baseball team, but we can, we can talk about that too. It wasn't JV, but that's not the question I asked Brendan and the people don't want to hear about that. Well, maybe in two weeks we'll talk about it. Yeah. We, yeah, just a, a, a scouting. I'll interview <laughs> you like I interviewed Brennan Davis. That would be know? great. I would love that. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious. Like, we both grew up in, in Chicago. We're both, oddly enough, even though it took us a year into doing this podcast to discover this, we're both originally from Buffalo Grove, we are. Illinois. And I, I think it's just interesting to figure how you grow up in a culture that is so dominated by Chicago Bulls basketball. And don't really end up to IR Bulls fans and in fact end up you know completely uh, like a lunatic level obsession with another sport and another team so how, how did we arrive here Brendan? Man that's a that's a multifaceted answer to this but I think like like you and I were a little bit different in that we did grow up in the 90s but I think like you and like our fandom didn't propel until like the early 2000s am I right about that for you? Yeah, I, I would say that's correct. I mean, obviously, like I think anybody else that was around the same age, I got captivated by Sosa and McGuire and the home run right, race. Right, right, right. Kerry Wood. But yes, that's correct. It didn't turn into anything resembling what it is today until probably 2003. Okay. So, right, and I'm right there with you. So, in the late 90s, the Cubs were pretty bad until like that 98 year. But the only staple for the Cubs as a little kid was Sammy Sosa, right? So you grow up in the Michael Jordan era, all the media hype. You have Jordan doing everything from his brand. But on the other end, you have the Cubs and you have another guy doing his thing and it's Sammy Sosa. And so you're watching TV and you're seeing Michael Jordan Gatorade commercials. What's after the Gatorade commercial? It's a Pepsi commercial with Sammy Sosa. And then you have that and the whole home run uh, race with Mark McGuire takeoff. So in my mind, I knew the Cubs were important. And the reason I knew the Cubs were important were because Sammy Sosa, Kerry Wood at the time, and the media and the branding that Sammy Sosa took advantage of in parallel with Michael Jordan. But I didn't, like my fandom did not take off like you until the early 2000s. And for, for me, it was almost like a very clear point of when I became a Psycho Cubs fan. And while you and I, like from Buffalo Grove, I did move away at a young age to Arizona. And so in the early 2000s, I was in Arizona at this point. And I remember in 2002, the Cubs sucked that year. They were so bad. I think they lost like 95 games, if I remember. They ended up beating the Mariners in, in Seattle for a three-game series. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the same Seattle Mariners team that just won 120 games. The Cubs beat them. And again, I'm like nine, 10 years older this time. So I'm thinking now, hey, the Cubs actually might be good. Let's start watching more of these games. So I ended up watching basically 
almost every game at the tail end, I want to say the 2002 uh, season. So that's when it became kind of like a psychotic type thing where I didn't want to miss a game because I thought the Cubs were going to be good. Now you go to 2003 and you already have expectations that the Cubs are going to be good. And now they actually lived up to it. Now they validated your irrational, crazy, optimistic expectations. And they were you know, outs away from going to a World Series. At that point, that was it for me. So I knew from 2002, the Cubs, whether it was realistic or not, I thought they were good, even though they weren't because they beat the Mariners. And then in 2003, they were five outs away from a World Series. And so I was hooked at that point. 2004 came along, they blew it. And then you wanted to grab back that feeling from 2003. And so every year, year in and year out, you're watching all these games. You want to get that type of same feeling that you had in 2003. And you know now we're recording the podcast almost 20 years later and we're, we're psychos about this. So that, that, w- that was it for me. I always knew the Cubs were important because you had the Sammy Sosa effects and my family, huge sports fans. My grandpa worked at Wrigley Field in the 40s selling peanuts, selling Coke, you know, he was a crazy diehard Cubs fan. And that was kind of like a link between me and Arizona and that going on in Chicago. That was something that my grandpa and I always talked about. So you have a family multi-generational thing. And because you have like the family, grandparent, dad, brother type of effect, you have Sammy Sosa, you know, marketing everything, you know, you just know the Cubs for whatever reason are super important. And then you have your own type of individual realization that validates the importance of this team. And at a young age, and I think you and I are similar in that we were like, you know, 10, 11, whatever it was, that's where it really propelled. And at that point, you were suckered in. Yeah, I think that it's definitely similar. I mean, like I said, I I get into baseball just in a general sense in 98 with Sosa and Kerry Wood in particular and and following along with that. And then I think, you know, like following that, you start to play some baseball video games and things like that. And then obviously 2003. Triple play in 1999. Yes, absolutely. A great game. Yeah. Great and game. Sammy Sosa was, was on the cover for 2000, Great game, great so soundtrack. So it adds to too. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, the best soundtrack. But I think that 2003, and I've said this before, is really the the formative year for that because you just get really sucked into going on the journey with that team and believing in that team and and thinking about the the whole history. And like at that point, I I would have been uh, 12, right? So more so than those early years, like really able to kind of like understand the history of the Chicago Cubs and the gravity of these moments and stuff like that. But as you were saying that, it it made me think of something. And I I, I do wonder, and I think you and I are, are definitely predisposed to this type of like psychology, right? But do you think that we land on this particular thing because of the difference between the 90 Chicago Bulls and like just the Cubs in general pre-2016. And what I mean by that is as a kid growing up, and again, it it's different because as, uh, you know, like I said, when they, the Bulls win their last one in 98, I was seven years old, right? So I was never really like a full-fledged, uh, developed thinking human being, right, for any of this. But there was always something about, and and I think this was just watching Michael Jordan in general, there was always something about like, well, they're just going to win, 
right? Yeah, Michael the, Jordan is just yeah. Michael Jordan is just going to win this game, right? If if there's something to be done, Jordan will just do it, and literally every time that's what happened. There there was like never a moment where you were like, oh, that didn't work, you know? Like no, it always worked when he played. In my entire life, right, starting in 1991, when Jordan played, they won a championship, right? So yeah. I think there's something to, like, you 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 join the Cubs maybe starting in 1998, you get really invested in 2003, and I think you and I, and maybe a lot of people, are maybe just more predisposed, our brains are wired to mm. be more interested and care more and and develop that lifelong connection with the thing that's harder with the thing that is sort of like designed to hurt us a little bit right yeah, we're getting deep in the psychological trenches i do have a psychology like degree session. from the university of michigan so yeah, i'm putting right. that on full display here right i have now. some neuroscience background too yeah this is uh this is this is therapy cubs related but do you do you think there's there's something it, yeah. to that like i think there's something it's almost no, there's, like there, there's a, no doubt about that there's no there's no doubt about yeah. that and i i think what you're saying is and it goes back to my point too you recognize how important the bulls were and you recognized how good and how valuable and how, I guess, well-known Michael Jordan was. And so you're already trained to believe that your team, your city, is representing something that's like really great. And you want to expand, like you want to be part of something that's also going to be become great. And that, that is the Cubs. And you look at the Cubs and you know the history. Even at a young age, we, we knew, like the Cubs... We're always like the lovable losers, right? I hate to say it now, but that's like when we're young, that's what we were told they were. And well, we knew and Brendan, they never just won. to clarify, yeah. that was when we were younger. Now, in 2016, they won the World Series. Won the World so, Series, right? Correct. That is yes. not the case. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. But I think I think you are right about that. I think we grew up in, and I, I'm going to go back a little bit further too, at least for me. And the Bears, like my family's still very big into the Bears. Okay. And so my dad always talked about the 1985 Bears, always. Even to this day, we talk about it. I feel like I know the team and I wasn't even alive back then. And so you're looking for your individual experience. You're looking for your next 85 Bears, your next Michael Jordan era. And you come to a point where you start to think independently at a young age, 11, 12, 13, and you grasp on to the one thing that seems extremely important, but they haven't got to that peak yet, and that was the Cubs. So I, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I never thought about it in that context in terms of the Bulls and the Bears, but I think the history of Chicago sports made it known to us that sports were important, and the Cubs could be important if they reached that peak, and you wanted to be part of that. Yeah, I, I think that, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense and and just thinking about like human nature and stuff especially because the bulls thing dissolves pretty quickly and and swiftly when jordan leaves in 98 and that just kind of isn't the same anymore and it, it was such a, a a 
like fervent level of support and like just uh, permeating every part of like life in Chicago. Again, as someone that grew up in that time, that is how I remember it. If other people, you know, if you were an adult already during that time and you're like, I don't know what this kid's talking about, you know, like I, then maybe it's just wrong. But through my eyes, it's like everything was about the Chicago Bulls in – the 90s, right? Well, like, you had Space Jam too, like Space Jam. Yeah, just like, everything was kids. Michael Jordan and right. yeah, they, they were, that, that you, was what, just what, what life was about. And when but, you see that, Corey, like when you see Space Jam on that level, again, it validates that Chicago is important. Like that. that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about that. Right. So I, I think that, you know, just the way that it, it sort of dissolves and you kind of are like looking for that next thing and and yeah like i i think i i know i'm definitely like i mean like i still do this with the cubs even though they won the world series in 2016 like i'm still a glutton for punishment i like they could be down even the games now like they're down 15 to nothing i'll watch every pitch of those games because i just can't turn it off i i see that's that's where we differ i have i have to turn it off like i have to disconnect right away that's no, just how because it hurts so good, Brendan. I I, how do you, I live for the pain. We'll you know? have to talk about this for a different episode. How do you do that? Like even um, you know during the 2015 playoffs in the NLCS. No, I, I sat just, through those games live. I can't do it, dude. I can't. I have to get myself away from it. It's yeah, not I mean, like I, oh, I watched the Mets the win that pennant. I just sat no, there. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't. I have. I have to find some distraction because. I start start to get dark. I can't do it. That's how yeah. that's how you and I are different there. But yeah, I, I think that there's uh something to that. Perhaps Brendan and I and our now that we have the some extra free time, you know, we can write up a dissertation on um on the psychology of two Yeah, and, and and liking the the pain of being a sports fan and, and things like that. But I, I do think there's something there. It's you know, you had you just grew up in a in a culture that was so easy. Right. And and we didn't know anything else as as sports fans. Uh, like what what I knew as a sports fan growing up in Chicago was the team that I root for just wins every time. You know, that was that was how it was when I grew up. That was the process. You you start the season, you root for this team, you buy the jerseys, things like that. And it all works out in the end, right? Michael Jordan just takes care of it in the end, right? And you, you, they have a, they have a parade. I mean, like the parade in Grand Park was like an annual thing. Like it was just something that happened every year. And like as a kid, I, I think you're right, and especially with the way that it was portrayed in the media, like you just get this this sense um, that Chicago and the Bulls are like the center of the world, and I'm just a part of this journey, and that's just like how it goes. So I think it was kind of a natural progression to latch on to something that was the complete opposite of that at the time. This team, by contrast, never wins anything, and they are always going to do the opposite. Michael Jordan is not here to save the 2003 Cubs. This team is going to find a way to mess this up something awful is going yeah. to happen to this team and I guess there's just something too like gravitating to that and I think you're right like wanting to be a part of it when it eventually turns around and again as I've mentioned already a few times it did turn around and they won it the World Series around, yeah. in, in 2016 World Series and shows, yeah. I think to compare and contrast those things, it was such a, a different experience. Like the the Bulls stuff was like literally just constant bliss, right? It's just always great. It's always working out. These players are great. It's perfect. It, uh, there's confetti every time. Like it just always works out for us here. 
and the Cubs thing was so different. It, it was such a a even for even for us. And like I know there there's you know people who uh, listening to this who probably lived through the '60s and 1984 and stuff, like rolling their eyes at you and I talking about our lifelong suffering as Cubs fans, <laughs> right? But even in our short time, right? Like they lose in '98 in those playoffs uh, to the Braves after winning the wild card game. They, you know, 2003 was extremely so formative for me. Yeah. Uh, 2007, 2008, just bitter yeah. disappointments for teams that you obviously were expecting more out of. And then like 2015 wasn't as devastating because it was part of this process, but still a, a bad ending to an otherwise extremely fun season. So I, I, I think there's, I think there's something to that. I think there's, there's a, a, a psychological backing to the difference in those things. But I was just curious because, you know, I think that like you look at how we both grew up and the, and the culture that we both grew up in. And, you know, you might think like both of us would just be diehard Bulls fans. And, and now I guess the kind of suffering has turned to the Bulls in a way. Um, and we're just not, you know, like I, I, I am a Bears fan. I'm a Blackhawks fan. Um, but I would say really only in like a casual sense. Um, I definitely don't right. live and die with either of those things. I know you're a bigger Bears fan than I am, but but not to the level that I am with the Cubs. No, I mean, this, no, I know. this is yeah, like yeah. a psych. But I mean, I'm favorite. like pretty casual on both senses. Like I support them, I root for them, but win or lose, I'm not really affected necessarily one way or the other. And I played I hockey my whole life, um, but it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Like I, I don't remember when it was. And and I don't know that it was 2003, but like at some point it just it, it all kind of like converged into like this is what I really care about and like actually am affected by and like legitimately deep down I care about the Cubs winning losing and everything that goes on with them and I just don't about these other teams and and other sports. I mean, you're um, the youngest of your siblings, right? That's you yeah. and your brother, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so, so so am I. I think there's something there as well when you see. I don't know how your brother was, but when you see like, you know, an older sibling or cousins or what have you, and they're invested in sports, whether it be baseball, or whatever, again, it validates that, hey, sports are important. You need to pay attention to it. And then for the for the Cubs, the moment that it kind of made sense where they are in their history and everything, you latch onto that. And one, one point, I don't want to forget this, but you talked about 2003. And in 2015, in 2003, you knew that you were expecting something bad, right? Like like you were saying, there's no Michael Jordan. You're expecting something bad. Fast forward to 2015, and I made the comment a few weeks ago, but that was why I loved Arietta so much, is because I was expecting something bad right. going into that wildcard game. And in 2003, there's no social media. There's nothing, right? Like the, the the sport in of itself was mysterious. Like to see Sammy Sosa in person was a huge deal to me. Now you see everything on Twitter. It's not as mysterious as it used to be. So you weren't as connected. You didn't understand the psyche. You just assumed the Cubs will blow it in 2003. 2015, Arietta, social media, just know what you're going to do. Pittsburgh won't matter. He has it. And he went out there and shoved. That's how I fell in love with Arietta because never had I experienced that type of athlete being so demonstrative about what he's going to do. And now looking back at that, the only similarity was 
Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I think getting into, I mean, maybe this just turns into like a, a psychological breakdown of being a Cubs I think, fan. I think we already did it, yeah. Every episode at some point, I don't know. But I, I do think there's there's something to dig into too, because we've talked about this a bit. And like when Marquis was doing that run up to them winning the World Series that, that finished, um, I think this week or a few days ago, I don't know, all the days are kind of blending together at this point. But there there is something interesting to look into, like, I've said this all the time, but like at certain points in 2016, I did not feel that way about the Cubs. Like I knew they were going to win. I didn't feel like there was another shoe that was going to drop. Like in in Game Six, I always talk about that. And and like there's such there's such a disparity between I I've said I've made this comparison on here before, but it works for this conversation. Like I was at Game Seven when they lose to the Marlins in 2003, and the whole time you're just terrified they're going to lose. And the the juxtaposition between that and game six of the NLDS where they they beat the Dodgers to go to the World Series, it, completely different. The minute that game started, I knew that that night I was going to watch the Cubs go to the World Series. And like, I don't know how we get there because I never paused at the time to really think about it. But that's just how I felt. And that's how it felt in Wrigley Field. So like, I think there's there's like really something to that kind of like psychological process that like clearly changed at at some point. But going back to just like when this like obsession starts and things like that, like, and I never talked this way about the Bulls. And again, I think because it was just so easy, it was just so easy going and fun. And like, you just showed up and they won. It was great to be a part of. But like, it, it started really quickly in that, in that like 2003 process because my one of my grandma's favorite stories, my grandma who was a, a lifelong Cubs fan, she was a season ticket holder. I, I tweeted this the other day, but like she used to, it, when things were different at the ballpark, like she used to bring brownies to Glenn Beckard and stuff like that, like just a completely different era. But she's got like pictures of her just like standing by the old bullpen, like talking to the players and Ron Sano and stuff like that. But her one of her favorite stories to tell of me when we're talking about the Cubs is the day that they play the doubleheader where they clinch the division uh, in 2003 against the Pirates, uh, something that I still have on VHS. And I would, I'm not kidding. I watched that before I went to bed for like a year following that happening in real life. And my dad or anybody in my family could attest that I'm not making that up. But her favorite story to tell is like on the day of that game, I don't remember if we were going somewhere or what exactly the context was, but she like asked me like how are you today or like what's going on and I like turned to her and I looked her dead in the eye as a, as like a 12 year old and said grandma this is the most important day of my life <laughs> and so like somewhere between being a diehard Bulls fan that only really played hockey his entire life and the 2003 season I went from like just kind of casually caring about baseball, like maybe playing catch with my cousin and my dad a little bit, like watching Sammy Sosa, that whole deal, to like literally being convinced that the world was going to end if the Cubs did not win the division. Did you start 2003 as like a psycho Cubs fan or as the season progressed, then did you catch on? Honestly, I don't really remember. Um, Because I I, like like I said, the difference between you and I like... Like, I remember sort of being, like, acutely aware of it, um, you know, because, like, I remember when they got, like, Karos and Grudzelanik and stuff like that, and, like, I remember that team, like, kind of coming together, you know, mm-hmm. and I was certainly 
deep in it, like by the certainly by the trade deadline, because I can remember that night. Like I remember when they got Kenny Lofton and like that oh, whole that deal. Um, yeah. So I was Ruinous. definitely in, you know, at, at some point. Um, do I lost my mind when they got a Ramos Ramirez. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, right. I don't know why like, I only said Kenny Lofton, but yeah, yeah I mean, that no, whole trade I, well, actually, was I think amazing. I think at the time, now that I look back at it, I, I think I was more excited about Kenny Lofton because, like, you had the Giants. Well, especially for our a, age. I mean, for like, our Kenny age, Lofton right. was a big deal. Right. And yeah. he, he was connected to, you know, Dusty Baker. So I was like, wow, this is, you know, now, now we're the Giants going to go to the World Series. So that was, you know, a big deal for me. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I don't I don't remember like how I ended up deep in it right when it started, but I was definitely not like I definitely didn't get into that once they were in the playoffs. I mean yeah. I remember going down that journey with them and and being like full on in um when that all happened. And I mean, man, like of all the things that I have like a vivid memory of, if I could paint like my memories, I can't draw for anything worth anything. Um, but if I could like take what's in my head and draw it, I could get so close to exactly the way that Dave Veers throws that double play ball to Jose Hernandez to win the division. Oh, it's yeah. sickening how close. <laughs> like <laughs> I have that so, you know, like when you leave uh, a TV channel or something on and it gets burned into the screen. Right, I I, I yeah. don't know if TVs still do that, but they used to do that. Um, no, now, I'm, still, now yeah. I'm like I'm 29. I'm pretending like I'm really old. Back in my day, uh, this used to happen on TVs, but like, and maybe it still does it now. I don't know. But if you left it on for too long, it would like burn the image into the screen. It would just sort of be like stuck there. Like that's how that that ending is for me. I remember the fly ball uh, to Sosa, and like oh, I can hear so Chip Carey like describing these things, like even now. Um, and and I know that when he hits the fly ball and they they catch you out, like I think he says like, and it's an auspicious start to this ninth inning or whatever. Like, and I remember, I remember them flipping the board. Um, was it the the Brewers were playing in Houston? That was the other game that we were watching, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember that whole thing because I'm telling you, I, it had to have been for like a year after they won that division. I watched that on VHS over and over and over again, like yeah. every time. I remember that cut to uh, Dusty Baker in the dugout where he pumps his fist. They cut up to Andy McPhail Iconic. in the yeah. box. They cut to Ron Santo. I remember every, and I haven't watched it in years now at this point. I'm going to watch it. You bet I'm going to watch this the minute, the minute we're done recording this. <laughs> Um, but I just, I just remember that whole thing. It was amazing. Um, so I, yeah. I, like I said, I, I don't really remember like what happens in like 2001 and 2002 and like how much, like I rem- I remember going to games and I remember when like Mark Pryor debuted and stuff like that. So I was already in, but not to that degree. But like I, what I don't remember is how we get to the point that I told my grandma that that day was the most important thing that was ever going to happen to me. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but it it does, I think, offer a brief explanation of how we get here right now. For sure. And opening day for 2003 was like huge for me as well. And the reason being is because from from 2002, you know, I'm invested, again, irrationally, because I'm an idiot at that age, still an idiot today, but you know what I mean? Going from 2002 to 2003, I had these irrational expectations. And what happens 2003 opening day? They destroy 
the Mets. They went 15 to 2. Corey Patterson, yeah. yeah. He has seven RBIs. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you have this young guy, Corey Patterson, who's absolutely killing it. And the Cubs just won 15 to 2. This team is going to win the World Series. Like at that point, I was already invested. So I do, I do wonder if the Cubs did not have that opening day explosion, would I have been as invested from the start? I, that's, that's a question I have no idea because, again, at that time, I was, was, I, I was 11 years old. And so that, that was huge for me. So when we look back at that era, some of the more important players were, yeah, like Sammy Sosa, absolutely, Kerry Wood, like, of course those guys were, yeah. were huge. But really for me, the most important players were Corey Patterson were Mark Pryor, those types of players, because I I gravitated towards their potential, because I knew they were young, they came out of nowhere, and to me, I was like, kind of, I, I don't know, they were, they were good, I thought they were going to be the next Sammy Sosa to me, and I was finally, like, I was experiencing this, it's a weird way, but that's why I loved Corey Patterson, so I loved Mark Pryor, because they were so young, and they came on the scene, and they were so good, and they were part of that era when the Cubs... I thought we're going to run the World Series. Very important. Yeah. Well, and now that you mentioned that, because I was just saying, I, I don't, I don't remember like, uh, like I definitely was all in day one because I remember exactly where I was. We were on uh, vacation visiting some friends in Jacksonville, so my my parents' family friends in Jacksonville, and I remember watching um, the at the time. You, you know, you couldn't watch the game if you weren't in uh, Chicago or whatever. But I remember watching those opening day games with the Mets on like the earliest iterations of MLB game day, right? Which oh would God, obviously dude. imply that I was pretty heavily invested somehow by the beginning of 2003 at 12 years old. I was already like sitting in front of a computer watching dude, these things on game day. To I couldn't just even see what watch. Happened. I couldn't watch half the games. Like when the games were on WGN, that's the only time I could watch right, the games. Right. I watched, and this is for many years now. I, I, I got MLB TV when it first started. I want to say 2005 or whatever, but I was watching half the games on a computer screen pressing refresh like when that ball turned like when you saw in play no out that was that that was like the best feeling in the world but i took in half of 2003 watching game day <laughs> you know yeah you Crazy. you and i are like a generation that grew up where like the in play runs oh it, it sends God. a certain level of chemicals but you like know, through my you body know too. yeah like you're because you, you, you can tie them up when like the pitch goes to the next pitch and you're just waiting there, refreshing. Like, why? Look, why is there no pitch? Something, something must have happened, and they're just waiting to, you know, type it out. And yeah. so you could you could sense when something big was about to happen, which I always remember. Yeah. So that is uh, a little, I guess, explainer of how we end up here. I, I will, I will end by saying I, I do want to give. You know, we mentioned a lot of people from those teams, but I, I don't think I heard this name come up. Uh, big the Friedman family, big Moises Alou. Love Moises Alou. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Like that one, that, that back-to-back uh, home run walk-off game against uh, the Reds, right? I that's an 04. That's, I, I know, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. But that was like, that's one of the most memorable. Oh, iconic. Like, yeah. Oh, iconic, dude. I, I, I don't remember where I was when it happened, but I remember like the excited feeling I had. That when was there's unreal. just something, I, I think especially for people who are like around our age, like there there's something so, uh, you know, it, it's ingrained in my my memory that I, like the the even the score bug like every detail of those WGN broadcasts um, oh is God. like just so and and like you know those Reds jerseys at the time I think they might have even been wearing those like weird vests that they had 
at that time. The black ones, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it would have been, what, Danny Graves pitching in oh, that game, probably? Corey, Corey. <laughs> yeah, that team with, uh, what was it, Aaron Boone and... Well, you know, don't even... Yeah. Okay, now we're getting... We, we probably need to wrap up. We can keep going back to the, the, the era, but the, the if, we're, if we're throwing out things that, you know, just, like, remind us of those times... I couldn't tell you what his actual stats are, but there is even still not a name I know, that I know, I know who you're gonna, me. I know who you're going to say. It's Austin Kearns. It right? is Austin Kearns. Oh yeah, my good job. God. Yeah. Like, F that guy. Yeah. I, oh, even now, him. that name makes me so sick just thinking he's about <laughs> to ruin some season or some game. <laughs> Like I, I and and may and maybe that's all just in my head or it's all uh you know anecdotal. But like I just remember him being just an absolute nightmare in those games, especially in two thousand four, which is just a mess uh of a season. But again, we can probably get into that more. I just I, I was curious about that. So that was a, I think that was an interesting uh conversation. But uh yeah, was good. yeah so just because they're going to release that Bulls documentary, uh, I think, on April 19th is the first couple episodes of that series. And I just thought it was uh, interesting to kind of see where that uh, took all of us. And, I, and, and you know, I'd be curious, too, like, uh, for those of you listening out there that are uh, at least a little bit older than us, you know, and maybe you were a teenager during that time, and, like, you know, how you, if you're still a big Bulls fan or if you transitioned to just being a Cubs fan— and if you were already, you know, an adult, if you were already a parent during the Michael Jordan era, you know, how did your fandom change for all of these sports? Did you just kind of go in and out seasonally with them or things like that? Because, um, you know, I, I assume that not everybody is kind of as drastic of a turn as Brendan and I, where it's basically just like, I do not, I don't watch NBA basketball really at all anymore, even though it was like literally all I did from 1991 to 1998. Uh, and all I do now is talk, tweet, you know, text, watch, and sit around and watch the Cubs play baseball. So um, even now, baseball doesn't even exist at the moment. It's all Brendan and I are doing. So uh, yeah, that's that's about how we got there. But anyway, uh, that was a particularly random episode of the Cubs Related Podcast. Uh, and buckle up, folks. <laughs> we're we're going to have some more. Um, but I, as I said, kind of when this whole process started, I, I, I think that, you know, you guys know this. And one of the things that I, I hope stands out about this podcast, um, you know, not necessarily amongst others, but just just in a general, in a, in a vacuum, is that you guys know when you're hearing from us, we're not, we're not phony about this. We're not faking this. Um, this is something that I've been so heavily invested in. Again, I can't pinpoint the exact point, but somewhere between 1998 and the beginning of the 2003 season, it gets like really crazy for me. So uh, I think you guys know that if we come on here and we just start shooting off about random seasons or players and stuff like that, um, there is nothing hollow about these conversations. Uh, we, we lived it. Uh, as I said, I think when we started this process, there's probably you could count on a, a hand how many games that between that time and now that Brendan and I didn't watch or didn't, you know, comb through the box score and highlights of and things like that, or weren't just like sitting there watching live, like we said on game day. So whatever we end up talking about, uh, there, there is a, a, a guaranteed level of authenticity that, that we are, uh, about as deep in it as you can be. And I think certainly as deep in this Cubs fandom as a lot of you out there, but we'll leave it there for now. Uh, if we, if we, 
just let ourselves delve completely into the psyche of a you know insane Cubs fan, we could be here a while, right? There's a lot to there's a lot to keep us busy there. Um, but we'll you know I I don't know maybe we'll uh, start a new segment. We we need like our Brendan. We need like uh, Dr. Jennifer Malfi, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. To kind of like guide these conversations, it's 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 it, it, it maybe these these upcoming episodes of the Cubs related podcast will mirror an episode of The Sopranos. We spend some time in the real world talking about what's going on, and the rest of it is spent in a psychologist's office trying the to figure out what on type, earth yeah. is going on in the both of our brains and and trying to figure all that out. I don't know, but anyway, as I said at the beginning. Um, Hope however this episode finds you, whenever this episode finds you, because a lot of these episodes are are not necessarily going to be um, as ne- you know time dependent as they normally are. We're not recapping a series or, or free agent moves or spring training things like that. So um, you know you can go back and, and like I said, listen to our episode with Brett, listen to our episode with Brendan Davis, pretty much whenever. And I and I don't think that they'll be too much affected by time, um, but. Wherever, whenever this episode finds you, I hope that you're you're dealing with this crisis in the world as best you can. I hope that you and your family, friends, your your colleagues, what have you, are okay, getting through this all right, um, and that everything around this is just okay. Uh, you you know I, we've said this before, but um, you know we we get a a pretty solid number of listeners to this podcast, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a small number. Um, and so each and every one of you, I, I, I really mean it, that it, it means a lot that you guys listen to us and you guys devote the time to listening to us. And, and I, I really do mean it, that uh, you all are important to us. And I hope that um, if you're hearing this, I, I, I really hope that you're, you're getting through this. Um, and uh, we can try to get through it together, and hopefully these episodes, uh, while not covering a topic that is particularly important at this moment in, in time and moment in history, uh, provide a little bit of entertainment or a distraction, a, a smile, a memory, a laugh, uh, even a, a little bit of sadness related to something other than the current goings-on in the world. Um, you know That would, I think, be a, a good thing. But as always, we thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you in a few days. Stay safe, stay home, stay healthy, uh, and you know, hopefully we can all be back at Wrigley Field at some point in, in the future. Uh, but as always, whether they are playing baseball or not, we will end by saying, Go Cubs! Worried about keeping up with your fave friends all summer? Or posting every perfectly pink sunset you see? Don't sweat the connect. You can have it made in the shade with four lines of unlimited data for $100 a month. Scroll the staycation pics, find your new go-to takeout spot, or catch some rays on video chat. Whatever you and the crew are into, all the data makes it all that much better. Smile, you're on Cricket. Cricket Core acquired on four lines. Data speed limited to three megabits per second. Cricket may slow data speeds when the network is busy. Additional fees, usage, and restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.